0: Glad that you're here this morning. Hey, before I get started, I want to show you something we've been talking about. I hope you've been telling your story. I hope you've been being a witness. Um, someone suggested we come up with some invitation cards while you're telling your story. So, on the table beneath the television in the lobby, there are some new invitation cards that say, Join me, sit with me, be my guest. Uh, has some times and those kind of things on the back, come join me. Your kids will love Faith Lane. Your teenagers will find new friends. You'll be encouraged. You'll hear good news about Jesus. I'll save you a seat. So if you know anyone that uh, you might be able to invite, and I bet you do, there's another tool for you. Hey, we have spent most of this summer, all of this summer, I think, working our way through the book of Acts. We've pretty much been going chapter by chapter, week by week, and I keep promising that we're going to pick up the pace through the book of Acts. It's not going to be today. (laughs) Um, We're not even going going to get through a chapter today. In fact, we're not going to get through a section of scripture today. We're not even going to get through a verse today. We're going to get stuck on one word But I'll tell you right up front, it's a pretty good word. And it's a word that we ought to understand. And I'm sure you have noticed over time words change. You know, there's an implied meaning to a word. And, you know, as time goes on, those meanings sort of change. For instance, you probably don't know that the word nice comes from the Latin for not to know. So originally when someone was nice, they were kind of clueless. The word awful originally meant full of awe, wonderful, something that was delightful or amazing. So today at lunch when your wife tells you you're a nice guy, she may mean you're clueless. You can just tell her, well, you're an awful wife, full of wonder, amazing, or or not. You might not want to do either one of those things. But things change. Names, words change over time. Add in the way we use words and it really gets confusing. You younger guys, do you want to date someone who's really cool or really hot? Yes, you do, right? <laughs> now it used to be back in the day if something was great, it was swell. That's what Beaver Cleaver said. In my day, if something was great, it was Groovy which I'm so glad no one says that anymore. And then it got to be cool, and then it got to be bad, which of course means good. And then it was ill or sick, and I don't know what that means. I'm not sure what something great is today. And then sometimes we just make up meanings for words, just brand new meanings. For instance, minimum, a very small mother. See where we're going here. Eclipse, what a gardener does to your hedges. Ground beef, a cow with no legs. Avoidable, what a bullfighter tries to do. Warehouse, what you ask when you're lost. It's okay to go, ooh. Subdued, like a guy who like works on one of those like submarines, man. The subdued. Let me give you one more. This is actually our word for today. Christian. What does that word even mean? And does it mean the same thing that it used to mean? I mean, we use that word all the time, right? We use that word to describe us. We ought to know what the word means. Mark Cohn wrote and sang the song Walking in Memphis. And one of the lines in that song, if you know the song, says, Now Muriel plays piano uh, every Friday at the Hollywood. And they asked me down to see her and asked me if I would uh, sing a little number. And I sang with all my might. She said, Tell me, are you a Christian, son? I said, Ma'am, I am tonight. And I think what he's trying to say is, maybe, maybe not. If you need me to be, I'll be a Christian tonight. The line of that song also ends with saying, do I really feel the way I feel? When you say, I'm a Christian, do you know what you're saying? Do you really feel the way you feel? Or are you saying, well, I'll be a Christian this morning, Sunday morning, last night, uh, not so much. What's it mean to be a Christian? When I was a kid growing up in church, I always heard preachers say, Webster's Dictionary defines the term and then they would define some term that they were talking about. Every Sunday it seemed the preacher would say Webster's Dictionary defines the term repentance as or Webster's Dictionary defines the term propitiation as and I vowed I would never be that guy. I would never be the preacher who stood up and said Webster's Dictionary defines the term as so Nelson's Bible Dictionary (laughs) Not that guy. Defines the word Christian as one who adheres to the teaching of or is a follower of Christ. Christians were loyal to Christ just as Herodians were loyal to Herod. And then Nelson goes on to say, in modern times, the name Christian has, lo- has been somewhat emptied of its true meaning as a follower of Christ. However, the original meaning is a most noble one. The original meaning is a most noble one. You might be surprised to know that the word "Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. Twice in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26, Paul is talking to King Agrippa, and Agrippa says, "Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian?" There's a commitment level involved with being a Christian, Christian. Uh, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. It's a name worth bearing. And then our passage that, that where we are today in Acts chapter 11. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Christians were different. They stood out. They needed a new name because they were a new kind of people. Three times in the New Testament, the Scriptures use the word Christians as someone who follows Jesus. Scripture also refers to followers of Jesus as saints, brothers, sisters, members of the elect, members of the way. And almost 300 times, followers of Jesus are referred to as disciples. But here in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas, Paul, and the other Jesus followers that are there are referred to as Christians. These people in Antioch are going, well, we've got to call these people something. What are we going to call them? Let's call them Christians. What did that word mean to Barnabas? Or What did that word mean to Paul? What does it mean to us? We're not going to exactly answer that in the next 15 minutes, but let me share a a thought or two with you. Uh, Turn in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 16. We're actually, we're going to step out of the book of Acts for today. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. Because in Matthew 16, Jesus himself is going to tell us what it means to be a follower of his. What it means to be a disciple. Jesus is going to tell us, what it means to be a Christian. Just to get caught up with what's going on, Matthew 16, uh, verse 13, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street out there? What are people saying about me? And they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. There's other people who say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They're all over the place on this, Jesus A lot of different opinions about who you are. And then Jesus asks the question that I think he really wanted to ask in the first place. How about you? Who do you say I am? And of course, we know it's Peter that pipes up. Surprise, surprise. We say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends Peter for that answer. Way to go, Peter. Great answer. That's the right answer. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. In fact, Jesus says, you didn't figure that out on your own. That's the right answer. Congratulations. And, And then in verse 21, Jesus begins to tell them that he's headed to Jerusalem, an impending death in Jerusalem. And again, it's Peter who pulls Jesus aside after all this death in Jerusalem talk. And Peter rebukes Jesus for that kind of talk. Remember, we mentioned last week that Peter told God, no, I'm not going to eat that. Now here he's telling Jesus, "You know, let me rebuke you, let me set you straight. It's not going to happen. You're not going to die in Jerusalem. Not while Simon Peter's around. Not going to happen on my watch. And then verse 23, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Can you imagine how devastating that would have been to Peter? Hey, you devil, you. Out of my way. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Can you imagine how confusing that would have been to Peter? You know, you just told me, way to go, Peter. Good answer. You didn't figure that out on your own. Way to go. Now you're calling me the devil? Now you're telling me I'm a stumbling block? And Jesus goes on in verse 23... You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus tells Peter, you're thinking down here. I want you thinking up here. You're thinking on a worldly level. I want you thinking on a spiritual level. And then he says in verse 24, If anyone would come after me, he must. We've got to pay close attention to what Jesus is about to say. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be my follower, if anyone wants to be a disciple, if you want to be a Christian, you must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Again, remember the context that Jesus is speaking this, this uh, message. He's not sitting around a table following a meal, you know, you know, everybody's in a good mood, making chit-chat with his friends. Jesus is frustrated. Jesus is upset with Peter, you know, his closest follower. He just called him Satan. You're not getting it, Peter. It's not about what you want. You're, just, you're a stumbling block to me. You want to follow me? You want to come after me? You want to be my disciple? You want to be a Christian? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, what's it mean to be a Christian? What did it mean to those people that Jesus was talking to? What's it mean to us? Deny yourself. Why did he start there? Why didn't he say, indulge yourself? Why didn't he say, look out for yourself? Why didn't he say, make yourself comfortable? Because I've got to be real honest, I don't much like to deny myself. We don't live in a deny yourself culture, do we? Our culture does not teach us to deny ourselves. We talk about it, but we're not very good at it. Dad walks into the kitchen where his three kids are fighting over the last piece of candy, and he says, I'll tell you who gets the last piece of candy. It's the one that obeys mom all the time. It's the one that is always respectful to mom, says, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. It's the one that realizes that mom's uh, in charge here in this house. Three kids drop their heads and say in unison, you get the last piece, dad. (laughs) We... Talk about denying ourselves, but we're not very good at it. The philosopher Kierkegaard once wrote I went into the church and sat on the velvet pew. I watched as the sun came shining through the stained glass windows. The minister, dressed in expensive clothes, opened the golded, gilded Bible marked with a silk bookmark and said, if any, man, if any man will be my disciple," said Jesus, "let him deny myself, himself." And I looked around, and no one was laughing. Talk about denying ourselves, but we don't like to do it. A man by the name of Christian Herder was the governor of Massachusetts back in the fifties. On a reelection campaign, he he was attending a uh, dinner, a barbecue uh, in, in his honor. And he hadn't eaten all day. So he was, he's going through the line, he's shaking hands, he's talking to people. He puts his plate out and a woman puts a piece of chicken on it. And he said, ma'am, would it be possible for me to get another piece of chicken? I'm really hungry. She said, I'm sorry, I was told just everybody gets one piece of chicken. And he said, but I haven't eaten all day. You know, I'm really hungry because I have another piece of chicken. She said, I'm sorry, one per customer. And Herder was usually a, a very humble kind of guy, but he thought this might be the time to throw my gubernatorial weight around a little bit. So he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. This barbecue is in my honor. The woman said, pleased to meet you, governor. Do you know who I am? I'm the chicken lady. Move on. (laughs) And I wonder sometimes if we don't kind of treat Jesus the same way. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. All well and good, Jesus, but do you know who I am? I'm pretty important too. And yes, you are important, but it's because of Jesus, not in spite of Jesus. Augustine said that Christ is not valued at all until he's valued above all. Jesus is telling Peter, You've got to deny yourself. I'm first, not you. Not what you think you want. Not what you think you need. Not what you think you're entitled to. I'm first. Deny yourself. I don't think he's telling us to live off the grid in Alaska somewhere. But I think he is suggesting, I think he's he's actually saying in no uncertain terms, that we've got to get rid of our selfish ambition. Do you want to come after me? Do you want to be a Christian? I'm first. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Take up his cross. What did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross? When I was a little kid, growing up, we used to sing the song. Haven't sung in a long time, Dave. Um, I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. Anybody know that song? I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow, follow me. And I remember as a kid thinking, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to take your cross and follow Jesus. But I'd hear people say things like, Well, I've got a cross to bear. I'm short, that's my cross to bear. I'm bald, that's my cross to bear. I don't get along very well with my in-laws, just my cross to bear. My wife isn't a very good cook, and that is my cross to bear. Newlywed couple was sitting down for one of their first meals, and the wife said, "The two things I make best are meatloaf and apple pie." The new husband looked down at his plate and said, "Uh, "Which is this?" (laughs) Just my cross to bear. Yeah, we all have shortcomings. We all have problems. We all have challenges. But that is not our cross to bear. That is not at all what Jesus was talking about when He said, pick up your cross. Those people that He was talking to when He said, pick up your cross, what did they think He meant when He said, take your cross? Because in their world, the people who took up their cross were people on their way to their own death. In the first century... Convicted criminals picked up their cross. Remember, Jesus carried his cross on the way to Calvary. People are on the way to their death, carried crosses. The people that Jesus was talking to understood that. So, when Jesus says, Be, it says to uh, take up your cross, what he's saying is, You be prepared to do whatever it takes, you be prepared to give everything. What he's saying is, what I'm asking for, and really what I'm demanding, is 100% commitment. Anything less isn't enough. And we should be able to understand that, right? I've probably used this analogy before, but if I were faithful to my wife 95% of the time, I would be unfaithful. You understand that. I can't be faithful to my wife just 95% of the time. It's got to be 100%. It's the same with Jesus. We can't be faithful to Jesus 95% of the time. That just makes us unfaithful. We get that. I found a story about Alexander the Great, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes a pretty good point. Alexander the Great, of course, was a conqueror, ruled with an iron fist. In military settings, his word was law, and he meted out justice uh, swiftly and often pretty harshly. A young lad was brought before Alexander the Great one day. Pretty young guy, but he was actually in service to Alexander the Great as a soldier. And he was brought for justice. He'd committed an offense. And as he approached uh, the soldier bringing this young lad, uh, Alexander the Great said, "Uh, "'What's your name, son?' And the boy said, my name is Alexander. And at once the, the general seemed to soften a little bit, almost flattered that this young man would have the same name that he had. And he said, what exactly is the offense that you have been accused of? And the officer with him said, cowardice, sir. He fled in the heat of battle. And the general stiffened and said, tell me again, what is your name? And the young boy said, my name is Alexander. He said a little bit louder, what did you say your name was? My name is Alexander. He bellows, tell me what your name is. And the boy now is very frightened and sort of stutters, my my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great told this young man, son, either you change your behavior or you change your name. And I wonder if I was ever speaking with Jesus and Jesus asked me, what do you call yourself? I'm a Christian. What are you calling yourself? I'm a Christian. I wonder if Jesus would say, you know what, Tim, you need to either change your behavior or you need to change your name. If you wear the name of Christ, you better be prepared to march into battle. I mentioned that old hymn, I can hear my Savior calling, take the cross and follow me. That song ends by saying, I'll go with him, with him, all the way. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up your cross, follow me. Christians follow Jesus. Sounds simple, right? Christians follow Jesus. That's what we do. It's not that simple. In Mark chapter 1, I hope you can see that. Um, Jesus met some fishermen at the Sea of Galilee. He said, follow me. They dropped their nets. They walked away from their business. They followed Jesus. Mark chapter 2, he sees a man in a, a tax collector's booth collecting taxes. Jesus says, follow me. He walks away from his business. He walks away from his job. Follows Jesus. We know who those men were, don't we? We know them by name. Those fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, John, we know a lot about them. That tax collector in Mark chapter 2, Matthew, we know a lot about them. In Luke chapter 9, man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's not as easy as you think. Then he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Let me do other things first. Those individuals in Luke chapter 9 who said, wait, first I got to do this. I don't know their names. I don't know anything about them. They weren't called Christians because there were other things that came first in their life. Important things? Legitimate things? Absolutely. But Jesus says, I've got to come first. Let me bury my father. Let me say goodbye to my family. If you're going to be a Christian, there really can be no other firsts. Now, I'm a Christian. What are you obsessed with? Your job? your hobby, your family? Or are you obsessed with Jesus? If Jesus isn't first in your life, you need to change your behavior or else you need to change your name. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Before we finish, be sure you hear the rest of Jesus' statement. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is asking, is anything worth more than your soul? And of course the answer is no. This is a high stakes proposition that uh, we're talking about today. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, the stakes are high. The cost was high. Jesus said, put me first. By the way, putting Jesus first, that means putting other things second. But by putting Jesus first, that's where true life is found. It really is. The life you really want, it comes with putting Jesus first. Lukewarm... Mediocre Christianity, it is not satisfying. Sitting in a pew, checking a box, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to you, and Jesus says, you know what, it kind of makes me sick. Lukewarm, it just sort of turns my stomach. What does it mean to be a Christian? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. As a wrap up, let me share a poem with you. It's called a poem, but it doesn't rhyme. So, I don't know. More of a spoken word, I guess, which means that Robbie should be doing it, or IT, or somebody else, but uh, let me share it with you. I am a Christian, a soldier in the army of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Bible is my code of conduct faith, prayer and the word of my weapons of warfare. I'm a volunteer in this army and I am enlisted for eternity. I will either die in this army or meet my commander in the clouds. But I will not get out, sell out, be talked out or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, dependable. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. If I end up with nothing, I'll still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all of my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ. Evil cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a Christian. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield, I will be promoted. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a Christian. This morning, do you need to change your behavior? Or do you need to change your name? If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. If we can help you in that in any way, there's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium. You can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.